Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Well, a number of uh, years ago, I was preparing to lead a group out uh, for a week of adventure in Colorado. And as we got really close to the trip, I thought we were going to have to cancel the trip. Uh, Wildfire started to blaze. It started real small, but then it started to take off. And hundreds of thousands of acres started to just get leveled. Uh, Fire was encroaching upon city and homes were being destroyed. And it was right in the area that we were going to go to. And started scrambling, even to look at the, the trip that our kids are on now, to say, could we, could we last minute try and figure something out like that? Um, and uh, firefighters worked uh, incredibly hard, and they got the fire, uh, the containment started to increase, and the fire started to diminish. And we were able to head out uh, to Colorado on our trip. But it was a very somber experience at times, because we drove right by the burn, and Acre after acre after acre, miles of what, what once was beautiful Colorado forest was now just black and stumps and death. And it was, it was just destructive and to look at what was human error, human carelessness at best, right? And the devastation that was brought by it. James 3.6 says, the tongue is a fire, is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting, the fire, setting on fire the entire course of life, and, uh, and it is itself set on fire by hell. This morning we're going to talk about how words matter. Words matter. The specific words you use matter. And beyond, um, beyond that, the tone that you use, the timing with which you speak, the intent behind your words, all of that stuff matters. Words are powerful. Words can build up or they can burn down. We live in a time when words are ablaze. White supremacists spew evil. I heard a reporter call our president a pile of human refuse. And now whatever you think of people, that is never, never should pass the filter of the lips. And it's not just out there. I dare to think, and I know it's present in our homes too. Husbands and wives talk to each other in ways that we would never talk to somebody else. Parents speak to their kids in ways that would make them go off if another adult spoke to their kids that way. Kids speak to their parents, to one another, to anybody in ways that shouldn't ever make it past the filter. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe there just is no filter these days. Today we're going to talk about words how words can become sin. And I want to look at a different way, that it doesn't have to be this way. There is a different way to use words. Now, we might look at our words, and we we might think, in a world full of sin, this is one of the smaller ones. 
You know, words don't really hurt people, right? And uh, however little we want to make this sin, I think, I think we're, want, uh, we're kidding ourselves. The power that is in words, the destruction that can happen, uh, but also the good that can happen. And also, just taking a look at what Jesus said about the words that we use should call us to a sober-mindedness in this area. Matthew 12, 36. And Jesus says, looking at words, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That's careless. That's not, that's not even destructive. That's not even like evil. That's careless. When we don't think through the words that we say, Jesus says, we're going to have to give an account for that. This morning, I want to I dig into Ephesians 4. If you have a Bible and you want to open up there, we'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 together. Paul has just finished talking about an old life that we're supposed to be taking off and a new life that we're going to be putting on in Christ. And this morning, it'll be that dance again. There was a lot of that in our series through Colossians. We take off the old and we put on the new. And words, words fit in that. What I want to do this morning is identify what has been come, uh, has come to be called sins of the tongue. What kind of sin comes out of our mouth? What is it? What are we looking at? What are we supposed to take off? And then I want to look at a little bit deeper, and I want to look to some of, the, some of the reasons why those are so prevalent. Why do we do these things? And then I want to turn the corner again, and I want to take a look at what are some things that we would put on to take advantage of our words, to use our words, to think critically around our words. So let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into Ephesians. Father, in, a, um, in an information society, when we have access to so much, when we can so quickly post things, go live, um, words fly. The words that we use matter. And all of us have been and are guilty of using words in ways that do not bring you glory, do not bring you honor, and bring devastation here. I pray that you would um, open us up to hearing from you this morning. That you would allow us the gift of self-reflection. That you would penetrate. Spirit, that you would open us up. That you would help us to see ways that you are calling us higher. And not just to do the right things, but to be recognizing our identity in you and living out of that. Help us to hear from you and help us to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, we're going all the way through 32. Paul writes, Therefore, have, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members 
one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, In this passage... All of what we would call the sins of the tongue fall under the term used in verse 29 when Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And I want to give you a picture of what this means. Have you ever been uh, walking down um, beside a lake? Beautiful. I grew up... I grew up um, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, was at the southern tip of beautiful Lake Winnebago. Uh, if you know what that lake looks like, that's a little bit uh, sketchy. Green water, green algae. Uh, it's not polluted so much as it's just alive. Um, but I grew up swimming in it. And my grandparents lived on the lake. We'd walk down the beach. And uh, if you've been there, you can look out and you can see the, the sun sparkling on the water. You can even pay attention to the wind and watch how the wind dances across the water. But every once in a while, well, we would... We'd get there, and we'd get close to the water, and you could start to smell something that you knew wasn't supposed to be there. Right? If you spend much time on lakes, you, every once in a while, you'll walk up on a dead fish. It is kind of a gross thing to look at, and even grosser to take in with your nostrils. Right? So as a kid, as a kid we'd like pick up these big sheephead and like toss them back into the water and watch them float or do whatever they did, bubbling and whatever. It's nasty. It's just, it's just nasty. I got a picture of this yesterday. I don't know if I can help paint this picture for you. I was out fishing with our kids. Uh, beautiful park in Monona. And walk up and there's this big rotting carp just sitting there. It's gross. There's something corrupt about it, right? The fish is corrupting. It's corrupting my nostrils. And it's not meant to be there. You might have experienced this kind of corruption also. If you open up your car, if you have little kids, or maybe you're the one guilty, you open up your car on a hot, baking summer day, and you notice something is coming out of your car that should not be there. And you go digging to, like, what is that corruption? And you find, like, an old piece of fruit that does not smell anything like the baked fruit we would celebrate on a holiday, right? It's baking and it's corrupted. It's rotten. When Paul says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, these are the images that we should have. Rotten fish, dead fish, baking fruit. If you've ever smelled rotten potatoes, it's that kind of noxious, noxious rottenness. Let no corrupt, let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. We are guilty of speaking dead fish. Yeah? Have you ever been guilty of speaking dead fish on somebody else? 
Either you meant it or you realized it later. What came out of your mouth was just rot. Was just rotten. And Paul says, not, not a word of it. We need to get rid of that. Unwholesome, foul, spoiled fish, rotten fruit. And now Paul goes into it and he starts to say, these are the kinds of sins that I'm talking about. And he lists a number of them. He says slander. I have nothing to do with the corrupt words of slander. Slander is lying about somebody with the intent to harm them, to harm them or their reputation. I suppose you might be able to slander on accident when you assume you know the other person's motives and you start to speak into their motives and cast blame on them and condemn them. Slander happens all the time in politics. Rather than having a meaningful conversation, butting heads on an issue, we go to somebody's intent. We go to somebody's character. And we're able to slam them, and by slamming them, we never get to the meaningfulness. But it works. Slander works. You get your point across, and you win. You win the day. This happens in church, too. Rather than Rather than having a hard conversation and leaning in with somebody, we attack character. We attack motives. We do it to each other. We do it to people outside the church as well. We slander. Paul talks about slander and says, you need to, you need to have nothing to do with it. He talks about gossip. This is kind of like, these are sort of all connected, maybe on a continuum. Gossip Gossip may or may not be true. My eyes opened to what gossip really was when I recognized gossip might actually be true. It's not just all lies. Some things are true, but it hurts the subject. It hurts the one that you're talking about. And the question I think that we need to ask when it comes to gossip is, is it mine to share? Is this mine to share? Is it true? Okay, that's good. I don't want to speak lies. I don't want to slander somebody. If it's true, is it mine? Bullying is often connected to gossip. And social media has just made it so much easier to do that to other people. We tell other people's news. And prayer groups have been some of the biggest culprits, uh, right, of gossip in the day. Like, oh, how's she doing? I know she's been wrestling. Is she okay? We should definitely pray for her. Right? And gossip gets a religious, righteous stamp on it when it's not mine to talk about. If I feel convicted to pray for somebody, I should pray for them. I'm not sure that I should make a public spectacle of everything. Then Paul talks about critical speech. Like, it's true, but it it comes with a sting attached. It's not enough. It's not enough for our words simply to be true. Even if you have the right opinion on something, Paul says that's not enough. Like if you say, hey, I'm just speaking the truth here. I know the truth hurts. If you start your sentence with like, hey, uh, that might be a little bit clue that what's going to follow might not, might not, Uh, pass the filter test. It's not enough to be true because 
Uh, Ephesians 4.15 says we need to speak the truth in love. Now, critical speech, critical speech takes all kinds of forms. You say, he watches too much TV. That, <laughs> that might be true. She wears too much makeup. That one, she's not a good student. Those all may be true. What's your intent? What's the reason behind saying that? You always is probably going to be followed with something that shouldn't pass. You always, you never. We need to let those words kind of click in our brain so that they would trigger something. They say, wait, wait, is what I'm about to say okay? Or do I need to, do I need to take a step back right now in the midst of it? Making fun of people, I think, can fall under the critical speech because there are a lot of good jokes that we just we shouldn't be sharing, especially if they're about real people. If it makes you laugh, shouldn't be the litmus test of a joke, right? What is it doing to you, the one saying it? What is it doing to the people who are hearing it? If, and if it's about somebody else, what is it doing to them? Husbands and wives speak to each other, uh, sometimes in a way that is just... It, the default is uncritical. The default is uncritical. Parents, I know that I can get in a rut with my kids where the number of times I say no vastly outweighs the number of times I say yes. And I start to see just little annoyances and call them out. More than I'm speaking life into them, more than I'm praising them, more than I'm building them up. Now, it's true, and that doesn't mean everything that we say should just be nice, right? It's, it's actually good, and it's God-given to be able to see things critically. But being able to see things and be real about things is very different from having a demeanor that's just always pissy and always looking for something negative to say. That goes into the next one, where he talks about clamor. The NIV calls it brawling. It's like fighting with your words. It's being the eternal antagonist. Always, always arguing. Some people, it's just best to click unfollow on Facebook. Because the way that they use that platform is just clamor. It's just brawling. You might be one of them. If you're using Facebook just as an eternal argument, you should at least check yourself. You should at least, at least check to say, what am, I, what am I trying to accomplish here? And is it working? Or is it just adding to the noise of the day? I would, I would though it's not built in here, I would add sarcasm as one of those components of speech that teeters on the line between building people up and burning people down, right? Sarcasm really quickly can go to burn people. And it feels good if you're on this side of the sarcasm. If you're on the other side of sarcasm and you're caught in this, wait, did, what did you just say? Did you mean that? Did you not mean that? I, don't, I feel dumb right now because I don't know if I'm supposed to like laugh 
or I don't, I don't know, because what you're saying is not what you mean. We have to be really, really careful. If I get in the car and, with my kids and it won't start, awesome, the car won't start. Dad, why is that awesome? That's not awesome, is it? No, and you shouldn't correct your dad. <laughs> but we fall into that rut where we start speaking. We start speaking that way. Now, I like sarcasm. To defend sarcasm, I'd say if you're in a group and you all see eye to eye and you all know what's going on, there can be a fitting place for it and it can add humor and it can add lightness and everybody's clearly understanding it. But be careful. Be careful. Because somebody's going to end up the butt of your joke. And they're not going to like it. And uh, not good things are going to come from that. We all... Maybe I shouldn't say all. I know I do. I would say probably most of us have fallen to one of these. Maybe even today already. Right? The sins of the tongue are just right there. They're just right there waiting to be released. And we have to get to a place where we say, okay, this is what's going on. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we slander? And why do we gossip? And why am I an eternal pessimist? Why am I just always arguing with people or putting people down? Why, why do I do that? Paul identifies three of them in his list here uh, in Ephesians 4. He talks about bitterness and wrath and anger. So bitterness is like this long-standing resentment. It's just kind of an undercurrent of hurt. And a refusal to reconcile. Hurt, bitterness is like hurt that has just aged over time. And then you cling to it and you won't let it go. And bitterness has a way of poisoning you. It has a way of poisoning your heart. And then it will poison your words. Bitterness will poison your words. Wrath is a different kind of cause. Wrath is like an outbreak of passion. Like if you are grilling uh, with charcoal and it goes out and you spray uh, the lighter fluid on it and then you throw a match in and it goes woof. That's like wrath. That's a good kind of wrath. Wrath in our speech is like things can be going just fine, real calm, and then all of a sudden an explosion happens. It, it comes out of nowhere, seemingly. But again, it's, it's there. It's under the surface. It can burst out. And he talks about anger. This is a habitual kind of anger. It's just angry as a way of life. Those are, those are causes that, that would lead you to speak that way. Now, a, a note on anger. There is such a thing as righteous anger, right? And Paul, even in this passage, says, Be angry, but do not sin. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That doesn't mean we don't ever speak critically about things that are going on. That doesn't mean we don't uh, push and poke or iron sharpens iron and we lean in or we say hard things. Things, evil things should get us angry. But in our anger, we aren't given a free pass to spew back. 
We stand up to it. We go toe-to-toe with evil. But we don't become evil in the process. Right? We can make a whole list of causes behind the words that we use and the way that we tear people down. We have a history, maybe, of seeing words used like this. Mom or dad were always angry. They were constantly uh, talking in ways that uh, tore you down or tore other people around you down. There's a negative spirit in your house. Maybe we've simply been thoughtless and careless with our words. We don't really think through what's happening when this lands, not just how good it feels when it passes by my lips. Sometimes humor. We have a desire to make people laugh. We have a desire to be the one who makes people laugh. Our own feelings of inadequacy, I think, can lead into sins of the tongue. You're looking, you're looking uh, for people to see you as one step up. And an easy way for you to get one step up is to make other people around you look lower. So you use words to your own advantage. Maybe as you examine yourself, you recognize that the words you use are coming from your own place of condemnation. That is, you don't have life to give because you're not experiencing it yourself. You don't have an overflow that could build somebody up because you're in a pit yourself. And if you're in a place of condemnation this morning, I don't want to start and just go through a a really nice psychological self-help. We don't have a God who deals with us in self-help kind of ways. We have a God who has done everything for us. We have a God who speaks life into us. And like Scott earlier, a God who continues to refine, a God who continues to work. Whatever the cause, whatever the cause of the evil words that are passing by our lips, Paul says, let no unwholesome Talk come out of your mouths. None of it. No slander, no gossip, no critical speech, none of it. And so we, we take it off. But again, again, I think what comes out of us starts inside, right? What comes out of us reveals what's in us. If we go back to Matthew 12, Jesus talking about holding us accountable to the words that we use, if we back up now to verse 33, Matthew 12, 33, Jesus, Jesus answered, as he's dealing with the Pharisees, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? I think that's key. How can you speak good when you're evil? He says, and even his you brood of vipers is like, whoa, wait, does that pass? Is Jesus? Nope. Jesus, I think, says hard things to open people's eyes, but he's calling them to become something different. 
Become a different kind of tree, he's basically saying. You'll produce different kinds of fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And I think the heart of that hard passage right there, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known, the tree is known by its fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sins of the tongue come from a dark place within. And instead of just dealing with uh, the symptom, the thing that is easily recognizable. I think we have to go back to the root. We have to go back to what is going on inside us. And if you're a person who uses words carelessly or hurtfully, use that as a gift. Like, maybe the recognition of that, that that you do that, is a gift that doesn't have to speak more condemnation on you. Maybe it's a gift to say, this is going on, and God is calling my attention to things that he wants to do in me. He's calling attention to places in my life that need healing, that need to continually be transformed. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you recognize in the, this in you, I would say your first, your first thing is to plead with God. Give me an abundance of heart. What is abundant right now in my heart? God, I, I may need you to take that out of me and put something different in. Would you give me a true abundance? Ask God to give that to you. Ask God to let you see Be reminded of who he is. Be reminded of how he loves you. That this isn't about cleaning up your act so that he'll love you and uh, we'll all be good. If you are sick, you need a doctor. And we all have a doctor who has already, already done everything necessary for us to live in it. Paul says, I want you to take that off. The unwholesome, corrupting talk. And I want you to put this on instead. He says in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Speak the truth in love. And both of these are critical in this equation. Is it true? Should always be a question that we're, uh, that we're looking at before we speak. Is what I'm about to say true? And is it loving? It doesn't have to be cotton candy, right? It can be hard. Love can be hard. Love can be tough. But is it loving? Am I speaking with the intent to build up, even if it means taking a cut at something that is dangerous, that is sick, that is ill? Is it true? And is it loving? Is my heart for that person? Am I really seeking their 
good or the good of people around them. Ephesians 4.25 says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.29 then says, no corrupting talk, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What we say should also pass this test, this kind of three-step test. So does it build others up? Paul says, only speak what is good for building others up. Is what I'm about to say, does it, does it build other people up? Does it fit the occasion? Is it appropriate? Because there's, there's a lot of good, true things that you can say in one setting that in another setting are just completely inappropriate, right? And you, we need to pay attention to that. Is it true? Is it loving? Is it uh, building others up? Does it fit the occasion? And then this one is intense to me. Does it give grace? Paul says that it may give grace to those who hear. I find that just a powerful statement. That our words, our tongue has the ability to burn people down and And the opposite is also true. That with God creating an abundance in us, with the Holy Spirit in us and moving out of us, our tongue gets transformed so that our tongue has the ability to speak grace, to give grace to others. Because what I'm about to say, give grace to others. Mistakes have been raised. We live in a volatile day and we cannot be careless with our words they are powerful and they can be a powerful force for good Ephesians 4:32 Paul ends with be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you that's that's redemption that's reconciliation like I'm able to forgive I'm able to speak grace because I've been forgiven because I've been given grace. And so just kind of a summary this morning. If if you are somebody who needs to pay more attention to your words or you recognize this morning that the words that you use burn and hurt, first recognize the sin. Recognize the sin and uh, Neil used this phrase, I have the ability to choose. I have the ability to choose that God in me, I have an authority that comes from someplace else that is not just of me, but the Holy Spirit in me. But I cooperate. I cooperate. I can grieve the Holy Spirit or I can work with the Holy Spirit but he has given me now the ability to choose. Recognizing the sin doesn't heap up condemnation. It's a gift for me to see, see potential growth and transformation. Recognize it. The second would be, maybe you need a time of silence. Maybe what comes out of your mouth has just become such a thoughtless pattern um, that what could be best for you is just to take a time out. There's a spiritual discipline called silence. I don't need to speak right now. 
I don't have to speak to earn um, attention from others, to build myself up. And if I've been burning people down with my words, maybe you just, maybe you just say, I'm, I'm going to be quiet for a while. If you're using social media in a way that's just kind of gotten out of control, you just take a break. I'm going to go silent on this for a while. And I don't have to declare, hey, I've been saying a lot of you know, things lately. I'm going to work to correct that. You don't have to make a public display of it. Just do it inside. I'm not going to play the game right now. I would, I would highly recommend that you memorize Ephesians 4.29. That you don't just say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to... I'm going to claim the authority that is in the Spirit. I actually want to put the Word in me. I want to live in it. I don't want to just memorize as some kind of like uh, religious extra credit so I could win a Bible quiz. But the Word of God is living and active. And if I eat it, if I put it inside me, it can do a transforming work. If you eat Ephesians 4.29, if you make a meal of it, if you just meditate on it over and over and over and you're able to memorize that, it will come to mind. It will come to mind in opportune times and it will serve alongside the Holy Spirit as a correcting and healing and life-giving agent for you. Memorize it. And if your sin has, if your sin has been having a common target, like... It's just really easy to throw darts at that person. But I want you to pray for that person. And I don't want you to pray. There's a country, <laughs> there's a country song that's like, I pray for you. I pray like a, a piano drops on your head. Um, not that kind of prayer. That you begin to pray for them. You actually, it would be good to think about how would they want to be prayed for? What are they walking through right now? And if they knew I was praying for them, what would be a gift to them to say, I'm, I'm praying for you and I want to give this? Because I've had people say, I'm praying for you, and I felt a whole lot more like condemnation. I'm praying for you. I hope you grow up sometime soon. Great. Thanks for that. You know? Thanks. I've had other people say, I'm praying for you. And there was this, thank you. Thank you. Pray that way. Pray that way. The people would actually want, want that. That it would be good for them. It's easy, it's easy to burn people from a distance. I think the more we humanize people, which I feel like we shouldn't have to do, but the more we see people as people, the more humane I feel like we get. I've had people who I've struggled with, and when I have moved to see them as people, with family members that they're struggling with, with illnesses that they're struggling with, with life that they're struggling with, when I've started to see those things, it has changed the way that I've thought about them. It has changed my heart toward them, and it's changed the, the words that I've used with them as the subject. I pray for them. And then filter everything you say through Ephesians 4.29. Does it build up? Or is it tearing down? Does it fit the occasion? Does it give grace to the hearers? Otherwise, 
just leave it unsaid. It's not worth speaking fish to people. Jesus said, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. That he's put us here, that he's put us here not to start fires, but to put them out. To be people of peace, who speak, speak peace in a world of fire. Let's use our words well. We're going to move now into a time of communion um, where if you, if you want to look at how God uses words, you look at the words that he uses about us, about names that he calls us, and we don't, we don't get words that steal life when God talks to us. We get son and daughter. God uses, God uses words toward us that help us to see how he loves and, and how he continues to stay with us, how he continues to transform, how he continues to walk with us in redemption. We have a God who spent himself. And in communion, we remember him. In communion, we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made and the life that he offers. So we're going we're gonna to go to that. We're going to go back into worship. And I want you to take this time just as a reflection of what is going on in your heart and what is coming out past your lips. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful that you don't just seek to correct us. You seek to transform us. That we have, uh, in this journey, we are continually being transformed. As we bow before